0: while leadership is not about you it is also about you it's not about you because of your service and what you are contributing to the world and it is about you because you need to put the self-first principles in practice at play which means you need to look after yourself
1: you're listening to the vibrant leadership podcast with leadership speaker and consultant nicole greer Welcome to the Vibrant Leadership Podcast. My name is Nicole Greer. They call me the Vibrant Coach. And I am here today with someone from down under. I'm so excited. I got a little Australia connection now. Her name is Zoe Routh. Zoe Routh is one of Australia's leading experts on people stuff in leadership. And that's the name of her book, which we're going to talk about. And she helps leaders and teams overcome silos and turf wars to work better together. She has worked with individuals and teams internationally and in Australia since 1987, although she doesn't look like she has. From the wild (laughs) rivers of the northern Ontario to the remote regions of Australia, Zoe has spent the last 30 years showing teams that are struggling with office politics and silos how to work better together. And I'm going to tell you, this is an epic problem we have out there. Zoe is the author of four books. The first one is Composure, How Centered Leaders Make the Biggest Impact. Oh my goodness, we're going to talk about that. Moments, Leadership, uh, When It Matters Most, and Loyalty, Stop Unwanted Stuff, Turnover, Boost Engagement, and Build Lifelong Advocates. And finally, yes, all she does is write all the time. Her fourth (laughs) book is People Stuff, uh, Beyond Personality Problems, has won numerous awards. So a round of applause for the awards and a round of applause for Zoe. I'm so glad you're here. Oh, she's looking about. Oh, boy. Oh, boy.
0: Uh, thank you, Nicole. It's, a, it's a, a pleasure to be here.
1: Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Okay. So let's start with my question I ask everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm making a collection of definitions, Zoe. So what is your definition of leadership? How do you see it?
0: Uh, can I first share my a participant I had in the leadership program when I asked the same question? And I think Absolutely. it's the best answer I've ever heard. <laughs> and then I'll share my definition. So his, I, when I asked, you know, how do you define leadership? And he just, without thinking too hard about it, said, leadership is hard.
1: <laughs> oh, my word. That's great.
0: <laughs> I thought, okay, that'll do. Um, so as a starting point, I think leadership is hard. And how I define it, how I've come to think of it is working with others in pursuit of a better future. That's it. And there's so much subcontext around that. But that's really what we're all about, you know. We're about creating something different and better for, for us, the planet, and each other.
1: Mm, I love it. Okay, so she. Well, you know, she's a global gal. Canada to Australia, she's got it going on. So of course, it's a ginormous definition. Okay, so let's start with the first book because it, it, you're going to need to go to um, uh, ZoeRalph.com and get you one of these, go, or go on the Amazon. You know, they're out there too. Uh, hold up the picture for. Uh, hold up the books so they can see what they look like. Oh, all of them, Zoe. Yeah, we'll see how we go. In a handful. Yeah. <laughs> All right, there's all her books. So then when you get to Amazon, you know you got the right stuff. Okay, so the first book is called Composure, the blue one. Okay, so yeah. I gotta tell you, I do centering every single morning of my life because I have this big boisterous personality. And so I have to do the centering <laughs> to balance the human that is Nicole Greer. Uh, so I'm assuming, I, I haven't read that one yet, but tell me about how centered leaders make the biggest impact.
0: Well, this this particular book it's uh, it's got a big scope as well. So a lot of it is about getting to know yourself and really identifying uh, the deepest parts of yourself. And it talks about different archetypes that you can bring into your world to help balance. So I love the fact you center and balance. It's, this book is about centering and balancing as well. Uh, a lot of the idea about being composed is knowing full bore where you 're going what 's important to you, and who you are and what matters to you so it 's an exploration of those aspects of self so it 's really a self awareness kind of book It looks at how you can re- rewire beliefs and how you can um, build practices that help you deal with adversity better so it's kind of it 's a wide ranging scope and it talks about reflection it talks about planning it talks about uh, principles. So yeah, it's a nice little book. I like it.
1: <laughs> I like the idea of totally, you know, because here's what we know about leadership also is like, I don't want to follow somebody who's freaking out. I don't want to follow somebody <laughs> who, who is not under control, who doesn't have this self-awareness, right? So it's it's so imperative that leaders have the self-awareness. So I love that it talks about the beliefs, building practices, know your why, all those things. It sounds, it sounds great. All right. So tell me a little bit about your second book. Um, and that one is moments, leadership, when it matters. Um, and and then maybe you might have a little story in that one, you know, when it when it matters most.
0: So yeah. Uh, this book is really about when the the brown stuff hits the twirly thing, so. Right.
1: <laughs> and are talking about the shit hitting the fan. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs>
0: that, oh, that's right. I wasn't No, I'm not sure if <laughs> this was a family show or what the what the protocol was. Um, so there's really three different types of moments that we can confront as leaders. So like there's rock bottom moments as you as a leader when you feel when you face your darkest days. And uh, so that's one of the moments you can face. Another one is when you're caught between a rock and a hard place. So an ethical dilemma, you know, and that's a pretty tough piece. And then there's the the tough moments when you come face to face with somebody who you have confrontation with. So there's three different, those are three different types of moments that you can, that you can contend with in terms of story. Um, the deepest, darkest moments, I think, are the ones that we can learn from the most. And it's part of the whole idea of the hero's journey that we get to this into the belly of the whale. and We need to sort out, you know, who we are and how we can make it through. One of the stories I tell in there is about my own cancer journey in 2005. And there isn't one of us that doesn't know somebody who's had cancer or who's had it ourselves or has lost loved ones to the disease. And I was only 35 at the time, so quite young. And I got cervical cancer. And there was like a shock to the system. I'd just gotten engaged. I was about to be married. And then here I was being told, man, you got to deal with this first. And so that was an epic, long process. And through that, I started to question, who am I as a human? Who am I as a leader? What am I doing with my life? I let go of all these obligations I had constructed around me. And started to live a little bit more intentionally. And I started to look at life and opportunities a little bit differently. So that's what moments was for me. I think these moments of challenge are a catalyst for growth, whether it's you on your own or confronting an ethical issue or dealing with somebody who disagrees with you vehemently.
1: Yes, yes. Okay. So I, I love what you said. So um this particular book moments can help you kind of figure out how to navigate a rock bottom, a rock in the hard place. And then when you're up against a rock hard attitude from somebody who is confrontational, right? So yeah, beautiful. Okay, I love that. I love that. Yeah. And you know, I think um using the hero's journey, which is a very traditional storytelling model that that's out there using that to kind of figure out how you can be a hero to others. I bet you, um, even though you went through this horrible thing called cancer, now you can speak to it maybe and help somebody, right. Be the hero to somebody that might find themselves in the same situation.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think that's why we love to read novels. And that's why we love stories is because not, they take us out of our own lives into another world where we can learn from other people's experiences and uh, so if my story can do that for others, fantastic. And I'm always learning from my clients and all their leadership journeys as well. So we learn from each other. It's a collaborative uh, collaborative journey, I think, which is fabulous. One other thing about the hero's journey, in research for my later book, I came across the heroine's journey. So Joseph Campbell had a student, her name was Maureen Murdoch, and she actually tracked the heroine's journey, which is a little bit different to the hero's journey. And the heroine's journey is... Well, I guess we we can contrast it to the hero's journey is more about learning humility. So you go through all these trials and tribulations and uh, you confront all your inner demons and then you come with new self-awareness. And the heroine's journey is really about self-empowerment, which is learning about your inner resilience and your inner power. So they're correlated, but they're quite a little bit different. Um, The hero tends to be about conquest in the external world and gaining humility through that. And the heroine is about discovering inner fire and inner power uh, through the experiences in the outer world. So I think those two journeys are quite an interesting thing that we can play with as leaders for our own personal reflection and also with the people around us and how we can help them to explore them being the hero and heroines in in their own leadership experience.
1: Mm, I love that, and you have just taught me something I have never heard of, and I am so grateful. I've never heard of Maureen Murdoch and the heroine's journey, so I am going to Google and learn about that. So thank you very much. All right, so here's what I double dog dare everybody who's listening: it's go Google the hero's journey. Uh, this is this is something you need to read up on and 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 understand. And I love the fact that you talk about the hero has to learn humility, and I think isn't that like the best leader who has humility?
0: I think it's an essential attribute an essential attitude actually. And in the research for, for my latest book, people stuff, I did a whole bunch of work on power and there's this great book by Decker Keltner called the power paradox, which is fantastic. And he talks about the traps of power and that we get gifted power by the people that we serve. So in exchange for being of service to the group or the community or um, the world, people give us power, which comes with traps of authority and privilege, etc. And that's an incredibly energizing experience. And this is a problem because as soon as we start to feel that energy of excitement by having all this newfound power and status, we drop the ball or we can anyway, or drop our gaze. Our gaze should be on who we're serving and this energizing aspect of power t- tends to swivel our gaze back on ourselves. So we tend to can't get more preoccupied with how do we keep and maintain and get more power. And we are all susceptible to that. And the antidote to this hubris, this trap of hubris, is humility. And if we remind ourselves, like hey, I'm, I'm in service to the other people around me. And I, when as soon as I think as I know everything, then I'm sure to know that I don't know anything. <laughs> There's many different savant speakers and uh, knowledge workers from the past, including, I think it was Plato or Aristotle, I can never remember which, I've gotten quoted in my book, <laughs> um, who said something along the lines, you know, the smartest man knows that they know nothing. And it's a good thing to remember, because that keeps us curious. And I think that's the other attitude uh, that we need as as leaders in order to, to stay out of the power trap and losing because the other thing about this power trap is that we we swivel our gaze onto ourselves, we become self-obsessed, and we lose the capacity for connection and empathy. We can also default to having uh, really impulsive behaviors, inappropriate sexual innuendo, relationships like all I mean, automatically we go to some of the high public figures who have a great fall from grace because of this power trap thing. And we're all susceptible to that. So humility and curiosity are big antidotes. And the third one is about being caring. And when we're caring, that stops us from, stops the swivel of perspective on ourselves and back to the people that we we want to serve.
1: Yeah. And um, so I'm having all this stuff run through my mind. Uh, Robert Greenleaf's work on servant leadership, right? So that the, the ultimate... Uh, humility is to is to do that. So if you've never heard of servant leadership, please go look that up. That that will serve you greatly to kind of understand that. Uh, it's it's the whole idea of you know instead of uh, you being at the top of the pyramid and you bossing everybody else around, it's you know flipping the pyramid and uh, you're on the bottom and you're serving all the way up to the to the front line folks. So love what you're talking about. Absolutely love it. Okay, so now I want to talk about um, your third book. Your third book, absolutely amazing. This book is called Loyalty. And I think this is what keeps leaders up at night, right? There she's got it up on the screen. Another pretty <laughs> book. Mashes, It's purple. Is
0: it yeah, purple? Oh. I like, don't know. I have this conversation all the time. Like, I think this top is blue and other people say it's purple. And I think this book is purple. Others say it's blue. So I'm like, oh my God, I don't know. I've got color blindness when it comes to blue slash purple. <laughs>
1: Right. It's looking good because you match. That's what I know. All right. So I think that loyalty is something that keeps leaders up at night. You know, it's like, you know, tomorrow morning, am I going to get up? Are they all going to show up? Are they going to help me do what this whole thing? I've got cooking. So uh, tell us a little bit about loyalty and when it matters. Or excuse me, and the unwanted stuff. Wait, staff. That's a typo. (laughs) Unwanted staff
0: turnover. (laughs)
1: Oh, well, unwanted staff turnover, boost engagement and build lifelong advocates. Okay, so employee engagement is also a big term that we're talking about right here. Absolutely. Loyalty. Okay, all that's right. right. So lay it on us. What 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 do leaders need to do to get loyalty?
0: So loyalty, I redefine loyalty. So loyalty has often been construed as longevity. You need to stay with me forever and ever, and that's loyalty. And that's one aspect, a traditional aspect of loyalty. And I think for leaders today, it's a misnomer to think that we need to get people to stay with us as long as possible. First of all, some people, we don't want to stay with us as long as possible. <laughs> and the reality is there's so much versatility in work availability. People have uh, portfolio careers. They don't just have one, one track of careers anymore. It's unrealistic to expect people to stick around forever. And so I define loyalty as advocacy and that you want to have such a great experience with your team members that no matter how long they stay with you and where they go afterwards, that they are advocates for you and your business. And that's really as leaders, what we should be aspiring to create in terms of loyalty, that we want to create fans, fans of ourselves, fans of our business and fans of our purpose. And because you never know, people do circle back and come back to work with you. And that releases a whole bunch of tension around like, I'm the employer, I'm giving you a job, why aren't you, you know, I did all this stuff for you, why don't you pay me back? And like, who needs that? Who needs that sense of obligation and, and so on. So I think there is there is a contract, a contract between employer and staff that needs to be honored. And our, our job as leaders is to uh, to shape a work experience that is of value to the people that work with us, as well as to the people that we serve. That's our role. That's our contribution. And the the contribution of the employee is to stump up and do the best that they can in the role they've been given and, contrib- and contribute for as long as they want to and can and are able to that, uh, to that purpose. So this book is about how you do that as a leader. How do you create that work environment, that work experience for people that Uh, helps them really thrive in that environment. And so that they become advocates for you, as well as contributing on a long-term basis. So it's got things like creating a culture compass as a team, which is about what's our purpose, what are our results, who do we serve, and how do we like to behave and operate together? It's the ground rules for the team engagement piece. Uh, We talk about this cadence of engagement too, about how we actually build these regular touch points as teams to build uh, positive interactions. So it's about reshaping the, the common practices of leaders and teams so that they can build this great place to work that is contributing and enjoyable at the same time.
1: Okay, I love it. Absolutely fabulous. So um, I want to hear more about the culture compass. I think that sounds fantastic. So I'm a leader. I sit down with my team. What is happening when I do my culture compass? Talk a little bit more about that. because I think this is a cool tool that people can put in their toolbox right now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the, the North Star, the North point of the compass is your purpose. You know, who is it? What is it that you intend to do? What is the change you want to make in the world? What is the contribution, to the better future that you're creating? And so you, you get the team to get really clear about that. So one of the exercises is to get everybody, first of all, on their own, to write a paragraph in sensory rich detail, which means what do you see? What do you hear? What do you feel? What do you taste and touch in this future reality that we're creating? And with that, um, you then share the paragraphs and come for the common themes and identify what's most important in, in all of that. Um, ideally, you filter it down into one, one catch-all phrase that captures the picture. So I've got one, uh, one client that their North Star was a place where everyone belongs. And that's what they create. They're a hospitality business, and they they run a restaurant and uh, and a club. And that's that's what they're creating—a place where everyone belongs. So it's a beautiful summary after all this work about what is the picture that they're creating. Uh, the east part of the compass is about who you serve. So you get really clear about who your stakeholders are. Who is it that you are in service to? And that's often quite. It can be a concentric circles worth. You know, there's the individual. Client that pays you dollars, and then there, there might be the other stakeholders around that. There might be their staff um, on their teams. It might be your board members. It might be the community, et cetera. But getting really clear about who we are in service to and who we are not in service to is a really important part of that. The south uh, point of the compass is about the team. So, how do we behave towards one another? what we do want and what we don't want in our team engagement and being very clear and articulate about the behaviors that are acceptable and not acceptable. So it's no, it's no good to actually, this is a good point. um, Not to say we want respect on our teams because like, what does respect mean? It means so many different things to different people. So you have to get granular with that. It means like show up early for meetings. You know, if that's your team rule, it might be no, no, no mobile phones while we're in a meeting that could be signs of respect. It could be simple as saying thank you when you do a job for someone that kind of stuff. So that's the South point of the compass. And with that, you might also want to develop a manifesto, which are like statements of intent about who you are and how you operate as a team. There's some great examples of manifestos from the all blacks, uh, which is the New Zealand rugby team. So you've been to New Zealand, you know, the all blacks are a big thing there. And one of their, one of their manifesto principles is uh, no dickheads, (laughs) which I love as a summary point for, um, as as having a summary point for a manifesto james kerr's book on called legacy is a great great book that summarizes all the ethos of the all blacks it's a great example of a manifesto and the west point of the compass are the results and what results are we producing so we have a a, an intent we know who we serve we know how we're going to do it and it's like what exactly are we producing and we need to get very tangible around that you know um to make that visible and measurable and uh, trackable is the key point about the West point of the compass. There you have it. Culture
1: compass. Oh my gosh. Total genius. So you need to kind of rewind, listen to that again It's rewinding a thing. I think you just moved the cursor, but anyways, so you have to listen to that. Okay. You got, you got to get this figured out. And what was going through my mind when you were talking about it is I sit down as a leader, I do this with my team. So now that's like true employee engagement. Hello. That's yeah. the picture of employee engagement. And then if everybody agrees, right, then we're kind of like in the clubhouse. We're going to pinky swear, you know, maybe prick our fingers, you know, and do that thing in the clubhouse. And then it's like later on when somebody does not follow the North Star, doesn't do all the things around the compass, then you, you have a, a great opportunity to pull them in and say, hey. We said this was part of respect and you've been late three times in a row. What's up? You agreed to this. I'm confused, you know? Uh, So I think what she just shared was a gem, okay? So everybody go back, listen again, write it down, make it happen on your team. Really important stuff. All right. um, The other thing you said that I thought was genius was um, declaring or setting down a cadence for regular interactions, like you can count on us having a convo like this, right? Or some kind of um, interaction going on. When you think about interactions in a cadence, what give us an idea what that looks like? What are, what are the interactions?
0: So the the there's a different frequency. So cadence means frequency or rhythm. Um, there you might have a depends on the context of your business you might have a daily meeting which is a short snappy thing which is where is your focus for today what are the uh, any anything that needs to be decided on or cleared up in order for you to get moving on that so it's kind of like a, a, a friction releaser you know clean up the messes so people can get on with their work and you might have that as a daily piece or a weekly piece so with my team we meet weekly to do that you have might have quarterly meetings which are have a different purpose. They're about reflection. So, last 90 days, how did we go? Did we meet our objectives? What worked well? What can we learn from this? What can we repeat and grow uh, and develop? And what didn't work out? What were our failures? What can we learn and grow and develop from that? So, it's a reflection kind of meeting as well as then a forward focusing meeting as well. So, next 90 days, what are we, what's our intentions for that? We do a mini vision piece for that. So, what are we going to see here, touch, feel, uh, taste, I think that's all the senses, <laughs> visual picture of what you're aiming for over the next 90 days, some specific objectives or projects, no more than three, three big, I like to work in the rule of threes. This is advice from Peter Cook, one of my mentors. So no more than three important things for the day, three important things for the week, three important things for the quarter, three important things for the year. And it's amazing how like that just whew, makes you focus really uh, in a crystal clear way on a daily, weekly basis. So that's the quarterly meeting. And then annually, it's this is about celebration. So we've gone from like friction removal to uh, reflection and planning to celebration. What has the year been about? And um, here in Australia, I'm not sure what it is in the United States, I think it's a little bit different. We have our financial year calendar goes from July to June. So we just did end of financial year review. So we looked at the financials, but we also looked at the other aspects of our business that are going well and how we've developed as a team and what we're individually proud of. So this celebration and reflection piece is a really important part. And it's where we can, you know, kick our heels up. <laughs> I went out for lunch with my business manager and, you know, just sort of like, just take stock and, you know, be heart, do some heart to heart stuff. It's also the place where you can do some official recognition for people, uh, which is, you know, Nicole did a fantastic job in her project this, um, this year. I want to celebrate her and her contribution to the, to the business and also the impact that it's had on our clients. You should be doing that rec- recognition piece throughout the year. This makes it a more gala like and formal kind of thing. So, those are, those are the kind of examples of the types of touch points that you can have throughout a year. Um, a lot of leaders get out of the habit of doing it uh, on a regular basis. Like everything else just becomes way more important. So having a structure, like an agenda, and there's a, there's sample agendas in the book for each of those kind of meetings that, and the focus for each one so that, you know, how to just set that thing up and go for it.
1: I absolutely love it. Yeah. Okay. And so uh, you got a couple of, of extras right there, everybody. So everything in threes, no more than three things a day, three things a week. Three things a quarter, three things a year, helps you get focused. So, Zoe, thank you. Okay, so that was good. And then I don't want you to gloss over, she said it earlier, and then she just said it again. When you sit down uh, to talk about the future, it has to be sensory. She, she rattled off the five sentences. And so um, I think that's so important. People don't want to do that either, they don't, because it takes great creativity to sit there and say 90 days from now, you know, we have a room full of people, you know, and, you know, this is what we're seeing, smelling, tasting, right? So it gives you what I like, what Nicole Greer calls a memory of the future, right? Nice. So it, it, Yeah. So it becomes much more tangible instead of saying, we're going to increase revenue by 10 grand. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that sounds fun. Uh, you know, just put the pressure on, but if you tell me the fun activities we do, And what it's like to be in that room making the money, it's exciting. And so just make a 10 grand. So I think that the really advanced leader is very good at that sensory uh, future storytelling thing. So I think that that was really, really awesome. Okay. So that was that book. Now we have a brand new book that's won all sorts of awards. I don't want to miss this, everybody. Here it is. People stuff. This one is not blue. It's white. Okay. And (laughs) uh, beyond personality problems. And so uh, Zoe, I am certified in a lots of personality assessments. My bet is you've got a few in your toolbox. Um, This personality thing is, It's a thing. I mean, people have to understand a very important question. If you've listened to my podcast before, you know, my favorite question to ask somebody is, what is it like to experience you? And most people are like, oh, I've never thought of that. And it's like, bingo, you need to think about what it's like to experience you. So uh, personality problems, it's a thing. Okay, so tell us about people's stuff and how do we get beyond personality problems?
0: All right. So this book is essentially about perspective and that is one of the most critical things that we need as leaders is the ability to develop and expand our perspective. So how we see ourselves, how we see others and how we see the bigger picture will make or break our leadership legacy. So perspective is an important piece. And the first part of the book talks about how do we actually develop perspective? What do you mean? And in which capacity? So we need to be able to see, uh, far deep and wide, far meaning that the, our time horizon scale, how much of the context of the past and the future are we taking into consideration? So the bigger our scope of time, the more nuanced our leadership planning perspective is gonna be. So we take into account generations of factors affecting us and we consider our, our decisions in terms of multiple generations in, into the future. So it's a, it's a big scope horizon, that's the far piece the deep uh, the deep part of looking far deep and wide is looking under the surface and this is where we get beyond personality problems so when we start to unpack the visible problems of what we see in a team or an organization we tend to we tend to discover that sometimes it's not personality problems alone It's sometimes it's about the systems that we have in the organization that are creating the friction points between people. It might be your remuneration system. It might be your promotion system. It might be uh, the way that you delegate authority. It might be a simple transactional experience that causes people to, to get entangled with one another. It might be the way that you run your teams, your team meetings that's causing the friction. So often there's these systems at play that are creating the problems. Um, The other way that we can look below the surface is looking at what are the values in place in the organization and are they creating dysfunction? You know, do we say that we, we have honesty, but some of our systems don't lend ourselves to that? And one of the systems, say, for example, that often causes problems is how we track and reward KPIs, key performance indicators. And if we measure the wrong thing, it can create behaviors that um, are unethical. So if people get rewarded for meeting their score, chances are they are going to do everything they can to make sure their scorecard looks really amazing. Even if it means like fudging the numbers a little bit, even if it means stealing clients from their colleague just to hit their numbers. So KPIs is one of the really scary ones that can derail productive teamwork. It can also derail ethical behavior. So that's what I mean by beyond personality problems is like we need to go below the surface and see what else is happening there. And the far, the deep and wide, the wide piece is about our scope of um, circle of concern, our scope of concern. Who is it that we actually care about in, in the work that we're doing? How far do we see and perceive our ripples? Is it just about ourselves? Is it just about our team or organization? Or can we expand it to include our community, our nation, the globe and all sentient beings? So, there's in leadership development we learn how to expand our scope of care and concern into the cosmos now not everybody's ready for that if you're just starting your business and you're like i'm not thinking about the freaking cosmos i'm thinking about how do i pay my bills <laughs> so the work of the leader is to be able to do both things it's to consider the cosmos and to be practically competent at the same time and so this book is about how do you do that how do you work with the into the future and deal with the now? How do you do with team responsibilities as well as task responsibilities? It's learning to work in those polarities. That's all about this book. Um, so that's the big piece of intellectual uh, workforcemanship in the book. And then there's a whole chapter on what I call the four devils of people stuff. So what are the drivers? What are the conditions that are creating unhelpful behaviors that I call the four devils? So we unpack some of that uh, interpersonal stuff that drives uh difficult behaviors.
1: Okay. So you gotta tell us the four devils. You don't have to get into the weeds on it, but I would like to know what they are. Can you share with us the four devils? Because we're all sure. going, Oh my God, devils. <laughs> <laughs> They're at every turn. Uh
0: I've called them the firebug. So the firebug is when we get argumentative and angry and uh like Uh, alive with fire. You know, something has pushed our buttons. It's usually loss of power and autonomy that drives us into being angry and and furious. And so when decisions are made to us without our consultation, that can trigger the fire bug. That's an example there. Uh, Another one that's similar to the fire bug in terms of its expressiveness is the storm driver. The storm driver is equally vocal, and yet they're more emotional. And they might have had some fairness issues, or they might have had some status um, been demeaned in terms of their status, or passed over for promotion. So they're emotionally triggered, and you know you're with a storm driver when they're ranting and raving, and you you can't you you can hear their words, but you're just blown over by their emotion. So you know that's the storm driver. The storm driver is hurt and harried, and the firebug is righteous and wronged. That's sort of a little bit different there. And then the, the two others are. Not as expressive verbally, and they express their pain and discomfort through behaviors. So, the, the next one is the water bomber, and the water bomber is similar to the storm driver in terms of emotionally distressed and usually triggered by things like feeling ostracized from the group or like they don't belong. And so, they feel this huge sense of lack of safety, and so they can show up in a couple of different ways. One is the clam, where it's like, How are you? Fine. And you know, you can feel they're so tense and bent out of shape. are like, you're you are not fine. Or you can have the, uh, you know, the drama queen, but they don't really tell you what's going on, but you just, there's this wake of emotional gunk around them. And that's the water bomber. Difficult to deal with both of those because you're trying to get to understand what's going on for them, but they won't necessarily speak up and it comes out in their behavior. And the last one is similar to the firebuck in terms of being peeved about stuff but not really willing or able or feeling comfortable to express it verbally. So all that anger and resentment comes out in things like white anting or backbiting or undermining. And I call them the ground splitter because they're working underneath to split the ground underneath people and also not very helpful behavior to deal with as a leader. You know, they could, you could speak to them and they say, yeah, I'll do that. And then behind your back, they're like mouthing off about you and they just don't do the work, all that kind of stuff. And so, what triggers the ground splitter is often overwork. So they get, uh, and they really want to perform, but they just feel burdened with all this over- overwork. And so, they just put their head down and try and get it done, and grumble about it behind the scenes, or try and bring you down. So, yeah, there you go. That's the four
1: devils. Okay. And so everybody's going, "I have got one of those." Oh wait, yeah, I got one of those. Too. Oh wait. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I love how. Um... Again, it was very sensory how you talked about that. Like, don't miss that, everybody, how she kind of made the explanation and used, like, I kind of heard, uh, which is really cool, because I one of my assessments I work with as earth, water, wind, and fire. And you kind of had fire, right? Then you had storm, wind, then you had water. I mean... So it matched right up with some of the stuff I use. That's, that's,
0: the whole model is actually, it's, it's elemental. So I have those four elements and that's what, when I was thinking about how do these things combine, that's exactly what happened, you know, (laughs) fire and air comes together and creates the fire bug, earth and fire is the ground splitter and, and so on. So yeah, it is very elemental.
1: Yes. Oh, which we should have a whole show about that. You're going to be back on the show. You don't know that yet, but I'll be calling you. Okay. So let's do that. All right. So um, I got, I've got just two more questions for you because I we've covered the books and I think that you have fabulous content um, and tools inside your book. So I, I'm not, you know, she's got theories, y'all, but everybody says, I'm tired of theory. Give me something practical. I've heard tons of practical stuff so far. So we need to check her out. Uh, ZoeRalph.com. All right. So um, what do you think? Okay. We're we're post COVID. I'm over COVID. So I think it's over. So COVID, you know, what, what are the struggles? What are the things leaders need to work on moving forward? What, what advice do you have for our leaders who are trying to get everybody back to work here in the States? We're not sure what we're doing. Some are still at home. Some are coming back. You know, what's your philosophy on all this? How should leaders navigate it?
0: Yeah. So the challenges that leaders are facing are quite different. And I think um, having to deal with an exponential world has been coming for a while now. And, you know, COVID is the one that showcased it. Most, you know, all those graphs of exponential graphs, this is the doubling of cases of of COVID cases is example of exponential graphs. So the exponentiality of our world, aside from COVID, in terms of technology developments, uh, climate change response, all that kind of thing, and our brains aren't necessarily wired to handle exponentiality. So being able to become comfortable or at least aware to respond to that and to be able to flex responsively to changing circumstance and to make the assumptions that things are not going to be linear and stay the same is going to be a critical skill for leaders moving forward. I think the next really important thing um, that has showcased through, through this pandemic is the skills that leaders need as a facilitator? So it's quite different. You know, we don't need hero leaders. We need leaders to be uh, centered. We need leaders to be clear and staid. We don't need them to come up with the solutions on their own. And indeed, if they try and do that, they're going to fail. And a lot of leaders that have failed through the pandemic is because they're they're working through old models of leadership where the leader makes all the decisions and carries the load. Nah. <laughs> Nah, it doesn't work that way anymore. We need complexity. We need diversity of perspective and experiences. So becoming a a skillful facilitator, which means that you're able to harness everybody's perspective and worldviews and synthesize something different is going to be a really important, nuanced leadership skill that not everybody is uh, familiar with. The third aspect is about... (laughs) And this is what leaders have been founding really difficult. It's like, all of a sudden, I need to care about people's mental health and well-being. (laughs) I
1: didn't existed
0: in the workplace. Zoe,
1: why don't they just work? Why don't they just work? That's That's right. I've heard several times. People just need to get back to work.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm paying that. Why don't they just do their job? Um, Because they are collaborators and co-creators alongside with you. So I think the contract of like the, um, not the legal contract, but the engagement contract of how we operate as leaders with our people is is quite a bit different now. We're co-creators. And I think if we see our teams as co-creators, as autonomous human beings who have lives uh, that are just as important as yours, and yeah, you pay them money. But it doesn't mean they are your slaves. I think this whole idea of being integrated work becoming, again, integrated into uh, well-being and concerns for mental health is going to be the next level of uh, leadership that's required. Um, So those three things, I think, are are important. So being an exponential thinker, uh, being a facilitator, and also being concerned for mental health and well-being is going to be pretty important. I think it's less about being dictator and the role of leader is more about steward. How is your stewardship, and it's not quite servant leadership, which has, in terms of its ethos, a little bit of self-sacrifice in it, which I don't necessarily advocate. I'd rather see circles than triangles in my leadership of model, in my leadership model. So I think having that as a concept is working with circles as opposed to triangles is probably a good metaphor to to explore in all the aspects of your leadership. All right. Uh, last piece of advice. Is that your next question?
1: Well, my, my, yeah. So if we had a single special listener, who's like, whoa, this Zoe lady really knows what she's talking about. I wish I could get one-on-one with her. Uh, but if she can't get one-on-one with everybody, what would be that single special piece of advice you would give to that special listener?
0: Uh single piece of advice. So I only got one shot at this. Then I'd probably say you're I'll not as you crap. Too.
1: You need to, you need two shots. <laughs> a few two pieces of advice. We don't want you leaving anything on the table. So nothing okay, nothing to, left please. on
0: the table. So after all the conversations I had with hundreds of leaders, there is this. There's a lot of self-effacement that happens that I think is unnecessary, and it's. Uh, I think humility is important, and at the same time, self-appreciation is important. So I'd say the message overarching is: you're not as crap as you think you are. <laughs> so. Be kind to yourself as well as to others. And to be able to take stock of your contributions in a sensible and sensitive way is important. And along with that, I think it's, while leadership is not about you, it is also about you. It's not about you because of your service and what you are contributing to the world. And it is about you because you need to put the self-first principles in practice at play, which means you need to look after yourself. And so to support that, you know, in terms of looking after yourself, Practical things are read more. I think reading is the gateway to all knowledge and experience. Uh, Get outside because nature is such a huge tonic and it connects us to the cosmos (laughs) and to our bodies. And the leadership is an embodied thing as well. I think we forget that we have bodies. We just imagine we're just big heads walking around all the time. And the third one, which I've been playing with more especially, is to practice joy. Then think we get so caught up in how serious leadership is that we need to actually learn how to experience joy and pleasure uh, and enthusiasm and not just stress and worry and doubt and all that kind of stuff. So you need to practice joy. That's my last tip.
1: Oh, I think you you left it on a beautiful note. I have great joy just hanging out with you. This has been fantastic. So uh, I know people want to get a hold of these books and they want to get a hold of you. So will you please tell us where we can find the books and how we can get a hold of you? What is your contact information?
0: All right. So all the books are available on online bookstores. And I have some available on my website at zoerath.com if you want a personally autographed uh, copy. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. I hang out there quite a lot. So just look up Zoe Routh, Z-O-E-R-O-U-T-H.
1: So Zoe, don't you have a podcast as well that we can all listen to?
0: Yes, I do, Nicole. Thank you so much for asking. It's called, get this, the Zoe Routh Leadership Podcast. It's on all the podcast platforms. (laughs)
1: <laughs> fantastic all right zoe i am grateful that you are on the show with us today it is about six o'clock in the evening here what time is it in australia what time did you get up this morning <laughs> do this?
0: oh i got up yeah i got up ah, not so early. i'm always up early but it's eight o'clock in the morning here
1: okay, on what day fantastic. is it thursday Okay. Well, listen, have a beautiful Thursday. We're going to have a great Wednesday night. It's been so great to be with you. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Vibrant Leadership Podcast. Thanks, Zoe. Thanks, Nicole. It's been great. Ready to up your leadership game? Bring Nicole Greer to speak to your leadership team, conference, or organization to help them with her unique shine method to increase clarity, accountability, energy, and results. Email speaking at VibrantCoaching.com and be sure to check out Nicole's TEDx Talk at VibrantCoaching.com slash TED Talk.